You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Uh, hello, and welcome to The Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. My guest today is Allie Reed. Uh, um, uh, Allie, you, I'll list off the shows that you're doing right now. Great. There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Uh, uh, Allie performs weekly with Musical Megawatt with the newish team Honeymoon. Yes. As well as Happy Karaoke Fun Time. Yes. As well as Blank the Musical. Yes. As well as Premiere the Musical. Yes. I think you're the hardest working person in musical improv. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I just love it so much. I want to do all different forms. I want to explore and do it all. My first question to you, first off, thanks for being on, on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Where do you find the time to do so much? Um, I, I don't do much else. Mm-hmm. I, I work during the day. Uh, I was telling Joe earlier at a Mexican restaurant downtown. Come and visit me. It's called El Vez. Um, and then I go straight to rehearsals or straight to a show. Um, and that's most days. How long have you been keeping that schedule up? Um, well, I guess this particular schedule with this many shows for like nine months. That's um, pretty intense. Yeah. I had been in Sarasota, Florida, working down at the Florida Studio Theater. Um, and when I got back last summer, um, things started coming slowly to me, but I was feeling... Underworked. I had been in Florida doing um, a cabaret show 10 times a week and then coming back to the city and only having one show a week didn't feel like I was doing enough and, mm-hmm. and I was craving more. So I, I just tried to, to say yes to as many opportunities as I could when I got back. Do you, do you find that being committed to a whole bunch at once makes it easier to spend your energy? Like I, I find if I... If I'm not doing enough, I'm actually more tired doing the little bit that I'm doing. Yeah, totally. I understand that. I think um, when I was young, I was in sports and did music as well. So I'm used to having a packed schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. It's like if my day is not full, uh, just having like one rehearsal is harder than like having a day of work and then rehearsal and then a show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a momentum to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So where where do you hail from? I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Oh, yes. Right, yeah, you may be our very first Kentuckian <gasps> on the show. Yes, I'm so proud to be the first one. Oh hell yeah! Yes. Uh, what is Kentucky like? If I were to visit, what should I expect? Um, bourbon. That's the most meaningless question of all time. <laughs> is bourbon actually big in Kentucky? Oh, huge. Cool. Uh, yeah. If, if it's not from Kentucky, it's not bourbon. Cool. Um, yeah, there's lots of distilleries in Kentucky, so you can expect some bourbon. Uh, my parents are big Churchill Downs people, so you can expect the Kentucky Derby. It's the mm. first Saturday in May. Um, sports, especially especially college basketball. Mm. Uh, the rivalry between the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky is very big. Uh, and you, you're not an either or. You, I mean, you are an either or. No middle ground. No middle ground. No, 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 no social butterfly no. between those groups. Mm-mm. Were you caught up with that growing up? Oh yeah. Mm. My, uh, my dad went to the university of Kentucky for his undergrad. Um, but we grew up, I grew up in Louisville. So I had to, I had to wear my blue proudly to mm. support the Wildcats university of Kentucky. Um, and had to battle my friends and all of their U of L lovers. So I have an embarrassing question about yes, that because I didn't grow up in that kind of culture at all. So mm-hmm. I, I, my experience is like watching like Hoosiers. <laughs> being like, oh, that's interesting. People yeah. are like really into it. How like serious are those rivalries? Uh, like do they actually bust up friendships for, for rooting for the wrong team? I mean, it can get pretty intense, but I, I think that, you know, you can throw back a bourbon and, and cheer somebody and be okay. But, you know, yeah. you might need an evening to cool off. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it can get intense. Sounds fun. Yeah, it's a great time. I, I uh, My good friend Quentin Loader took me down a couple of years back to Kansas to go uh, uh, tailgate for the first time. I've been back since then to tailgate some more. What a hoot. Yeah, right? Tailgating's the best. Yeah, <laughs> that's a party. It is. Yeah. 
So uh, sports and, and theater were your bag growing up. Yeah. Cool. Kick ass. Yeah. How long have you been doing like a musical? Uh, well, I, I went to a performing arts high school. Mm. I was a vocal major there. Um, and so I studied voice. Um, I guess I started studying voice in like fifth grade, going to proper voice lessons. Um, and all while still, uh, swimming competitively and then later playing field hockey. So it was sports and music. And then in high school, musical theater. Mm. Um, and I just, I loved being competitive. And then I loved going and like, you know, being a part of a team and creating a musical mm. in that sense. So there seems to be something very strongly in common between competitive sports and musical theater. There's that same, I mean, there's that, there's that, that aspect of being part of a team and working towards this common goal, but there's also a very strong sense of, of, Presence and performance to both of it. There's a yeah. real like radiating energy from both of those. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's being uh, at your best and bringing your best either to the field or to the stage and, and um, knowing your part and playing your part in that machine, mm. whether it be, um, you know, you're a goalie in field hockey or you're, you know, dancer number two in Brigadoon, mm. you know, like you're still a very important part of that machine. Mm. And, and that's a, a cool thing to be a part of when you're younger. And then certainly as you're older too, it gives you a sense of community and, um, and you appreciate everybody that you're working with too. So I'm kind of curious about, um, uh, that being in this position where you're challenged to do your best all the time, you know, is that the kind of thing where like self-doubt is used to kind of fuel, fuel your ability to work even harder? Or is it the kind of thing where the teamwork aspect of it kind of takes you out of yourself where, where the team helps you to not experience that kind of doubt. I don't know if that question makes sense. A little random. No, 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 no. It does make sense. I think that in the moment, um, when it comes to improv or to theater, um, you're allowed to, uh, you know, be in the moment and self doubt, you're kind of, uh, leaning on your teammates and you don't necessarily have the self doubt until after the show is over. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, maybe I should have sung a different chorus for that character. Maybe this move would have been better. But in the moment, I feel like you have your teammates to lean on you. And when I'm like in it, I don't necessarily have the time for the self doubt. Cause I'm like, how can I support this play? Or like, what dance move can I do here? Or like musically, how can we make this a little different and make it more interesting? Um, but with sports, I guess it's kind of the same way, but the thing with sports is that it's not subjective and with the arts, it is subjective. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no, you know, who won the game at mm -hmm. the end of, of a game. Mm -hmm. You, it's not the same with, with theater, with improv. So that's where the self-doubt can come in more. Like with a game, if we won, I'm not going to necessarily break down like, oh, maybe that shot on goal could have been stronger, but like we won, so it's okay. I'm going to kind of like move forward and just work harder on the, on the drills and stuff later in practice. But right. with improv, it's like maybe you go to the bar afterwards or on the train ride home, you're thinking back to like, oh, that opening number, that's what we said in the opening number, number but we never even hit that in the show. And right. like, so that's when you start to kind of unpack those moments of self-doubt, I guess. There's also the, the lack of, of objective criteria to tell you how well you played the game apart, right. apart from um, whether people were laughing or not. And, and there's something, there's something to then you and your team have to be the kind of uh, um, you, you yourselves are, are like inventing the metric that you're using to judge how successful you just were. And even in the best case scenario, that can be a little bit of a maddening experience. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of like forces like an introversion sometimes. I get that. Yeah. I get that after shows that seem to go really well, where then I'll start to think, did that go really well? Yeah. Like, wait, 
was the was the laughter as big as I thought it was, yeah. or is that just in my head? Yeah. 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 It, it's a very nerve wracking thing. So yeah. let's talk about improv for a little bit. How, yes, please. What's the transition from performing arts high school to improvisation? When did you start? How did you find it? Uh, I went to school for um, musical theater to college for musical theater um, and then moved to the city with um, a group of friends that we all actually grew up together and then went to college together and then moved to the city together. So I had this awesome support system. Uh was auditioning, booking some small stuff here and there. Um, and then <laughs> the great weight gain of 2009 happened and the parts got smaller. The parts that I could audition for got smaller. Uh, the jobs stopped coming. Um, and I was like, just depressed. I was like, man, this sucks. Um, and then an old boyfriend of mine who had moved out to LA, uh, was doing improv at UCB out in LA and he had come to the city for some award ceremony and I'd gone with him. Um, and he was like, you know, Ali, I really think that you would love improv. I said, okay, great. Um, you know, researched, got online and researched UCB and like the next morning, a one-on-one class went online. And so I signed up. Uh, and that 101 class met twice a week. Chelsea Clark was my first 101 teacher. Hmm. Um, and I'm still friends with the people that I had that 101 class with. And I think that that was in 2010 when I took that first class. Um, and I was just talking with Evan, actually. So I had been taking classes over there, had gone through the program, was in advanced study, um, had formed an all-girl indie team called PIG, stood for Pretty Improv Girls. Um, and we had done the indie cage match, had won that, had gone on to cage match. Like we were having a great time. Uh, and one of our coaches had been Kirk D'Amato. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, Allie, I'm going to go over to the Magnet and take a musical improv class over there. They're offering musical improv. I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, take me with you. So I came over here and um, I remember we had that first class over at the old space on, where was that? On, on 29th, right? On, on 30th. On 30th. Yeah. Um, and Tara Copeland and Frank Spitznagel just like changed my life that day. Mm. And so I kind of like, I, I still was taking classes over at UCB, but I was like the bug over here just bit me so hard. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Um. And then I just stuck with it, took classes and then auditioned for a team and was on the Jezebels, the first and only all lady musical improv team. Um, yeah. And the rest is history, I guess. Well, what's the experience like going from having experience as a, as a musical performer to then uh, hit, hitting the improv stage and having, having um, to do it all yourself? It, it, I might be kind of like speaking out of turn, but it seems like in general, people with musical theater experience seem to take to the liberation of being able to make it up in a way that's different from non-musical actors who mm -hmm. frequently seem to struggle or at least go through like a struggle period uh, in not having a script in front of them. Yeah, I, I think it was just the ability to play and the ability to be whatever I wanted that um, was so um, great and so exciting for me, mm -hmm. just being able to play whoever I wanted and um, to have no restrictions put upon me, to have just the freedom. And because that's why, at least for me, why I started doing theater in the first place was to express myself in a way that I couldn't necessarily do any other way, um, you know, to to live and breathe into these characters that, you know, were in a different world. Um, and improv just gave me the, the ability to do that again. That's what it felt like at least, mm -hmm. um, you know, and then finding the game of the scene and all of that, that was when I was like, Oh wait, now there, now there are some restrictions on this. Um, but yeah, it, 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 the harder part was playing game. The hard, it wasn't, the hard part wasn't like letting loose and, and feeling fun and crazy and mm -hmm. doing whatever I wanted. 
how how would you say that the playing finding and playing the game of the scene uh, translates into what you do when you're in a musical show? Because there are some subtle differences, even beyond just like narrative versus non-narrative forms. Yeah. The way that you approach a scene in both of those can be a little bit different. So what's the overlap for you? Um, I think that if you're paying attention to your scene partners in a musical show, um, especially like in an opening, uh, somebody might set a chorus and they're uh, singing about all the things that you can do at the park. Well, that's what we need to explore in our verses then. We just need to explore all of the specific things that you can do in a park. And then our chorus needs to be something fun and easy and simple that can kind of be the umbrella for all of those things that you do in a park. And I guess it's just the game of the scene you can find in your songs Hmm. and you're exploring um, just you're unpacking more and more specifics of what you've already set up. I feel like it's it's much easier than we sometimes allow ourselves uh, for it to be. Um, instead of we keep inventing in musical improv sometimes instead of just staying really simple with Mm. what we've already given ourselves. And sometimes I feel like it's easier to blow past the gifts we give give ourselves in musical improv than it is in regular improv because you do have music on top of it. Would that be an example of when someone gives the note that a person has gone too plotty? Would that be an example of of being going plotty? Um, it could be certainly. Yeah. Instead of, um, uh, I'm a bank robber and I'm, uh, I've just robbed a bank instead of maybe singing a song about what's going to happen next to me. Why not sing a song about the rush that I have that Mm -hmm. I've just robbed this bank. Mm -hmm. That's going to be so much more exciting than like the plot that maybe your teammates are going to help you, you know, with throughout the rest of the show than, you know, and now Mr. Crumpke is going to pick me up and take me to jail and in jail, I'm going to meet my cellmate and he's not going to be nice. And now let's sing about the rush. Like let's make up some silly metaphors of what the rush of robbing a bank is. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think that you see that a lot in, in musical and non-musical improv that um, there is this kind of symptom of getting ahead of yourself or overcomplicating things where people begin to just kind of describe objectively the, the situation around them or, or begin to discuss the next step of the situation around them. And you kind of miss that opportunity to, to bring it into the immediacy of your experience right now. I I don't, excuse me. I'm not like the most knowledgeable musical person in the world, but um, something that has always sort of struck me a little bit about musical improv in particular uh, or, or I guess musical theater in general is the way that your inner life is not always uh, matching your outer life that I think of it as like Clark Kent and Superman. Mm-hmm. You're, you're out of your outer life objectively is just made up of the day to day stuff that happens and the way that you cope with it. But in your inner life, you have these feelings that are kind of disproportionate and, and kind of gigantic. And in musical, you have the opportunity to let that inner world and let that inner kind of superhero spill out. Yeah. So everything takes on this gigantic quality. And it sort of seems that the core of that superhero or whatever you want to think of it is usually something like the rush of robbing a bank. It's the opportunity to kind of... Um, mythologize your feelings to take the, that immediate feeling of where you are right now and who you are right now and, and blow it out in full technicolor so that you kind of are able to present everyone around you with this feeling of Superman and not Clark Kent. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like, um, do you have a song that you listen to when you're sad or like an album that you like to put on when you're feeling a certain way? Mm -hmm, Sure. Yeah. It's kind of like, like that on another scale too. It's like music can, can speak to us in a way that words can't. And then layering on the, the, the words that we're improvising to also um, explain that feeling. I don't know. It's just like the best thing to me. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, do you, how do I phrase this exactly? So sometimes um, uh, when I coach groups, I will encourage the actual scene work itself to be pretty mundane so that the songs will end up 
uh, singing about what people really mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, to see, so, so that if you keep the scene work kind of mundane, it, it ends up creating this sort of restriction on how you really feel. Your feelings are too big to be contained by the, the kind of like mundane slice of life of the scene. And then they burst out in song. Um, and I think I started coaching th- that way to kind of counterbalance this thing of the scene itself already being so fantastical and, and heightened that the song just kind of feels like on the same level as the right. scene. You know what I mean? What is an effective, like how, how do you think it's best for musical improvisers to approach their improvisation to set themselves up for the, for the songs to be, to, to serve the, the function that they're to be to heightened. Yeah. Right. Cause in musical theater, they say, you know, you can't talk anymore about it. You have to sing it or yeah. you have to dance it. Um, I don't know. When I coach, I do a similar, like a park bench of truth type of scene where, you know, you're just talking to another person as yourself. And, uh, once we've gotten to, a, to the root of something, then we'll start to sing. Um, and I do, I do feel like sometimes just simple exercises like that, uh, do help you find, uh, maybe a grounded song, but I guess what you're saying is to heighten it. Um, I don't know. I guess just just trying to to blow it out and make it as go as far from a one to a ten as you can in mm. the song. I mean, but sometimes it's funny. Like in musical megawatt, Frank will start to play once he's heard you say a line yeah. that he thinks you know the song. A song is then warranted, um, and it's doubling down on that emotion. It's it's what what in your character would really like his guts are just like, he needs to sing this song. Mm-hmm. Did I answer the question at all? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, uh, just as a side note, <laughs> isn't it interesting how much of Frank, Frank Spitznagel's spirit is kind of yeah. imbued into everybody yeah. without realizing it. The whole musical comedy scene in New York city is like largely defined by Frank kind of teaching you when he thinks, when he thinks you've said it and done yeah. it already. And sometimes I don't think he gets enough credit, but I just yeah. think that Frank is like, awesome and yeah. amazing. And his, his knowledge of musical theater, which then, uh, infiltrates all what he plays, you know, there'll be nights at musical megawatt that, um, unknowingly somebody might tip their hat to a musical and Frank will just start to play and start to riff on that theme. And, and like the geeks in the audience, me included, will just like start clapping or whatever. And it's, it's, he is just a wealth of knowledge and I'm so happy that he continues to play with us yep. and, you know, shows up every week. It's not just referencing other musicals too. He'll, he can, he'll reference any TV theme yeah. that's mentioned, any movie theme yeah. that's mentioned. It comes up and, and he'll seamlessly integrate it into the show that's already yeah. happening. It, it, you have no idea how he's doing it. It's unbelievable. And he has a great band backing him up too. Yeah. yeah. It, I love playing with Frank. Yeah. I'm very happy that he's my teacher and mentor and per- co-performer. Have you, well, I guess like, what have you learned in the years that you've been improvising? I, that's like such a broad question. How do you even begin to answer no, that? No, um, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like if I had had musical improv classes when I was in college for musical theater, my work would have been so more informed uh, it would have been freer. It would have been more authentic. Mm. It would have been um, a different ball game for me. Uh, and a lot of of roles that I played in college were the the funny women in the shows that we were doing. Um, but musical improv has given me a confidence that I didn't have until I took that. And, you know, it's funny. I had some friends come and see uh, Blank the Musical the other night. Uh, one of the guys is about to be in Frozen on Broadway. No. And he's just like, I could never do that. That's so intimidating. Like, I, I it's crazy that that you can do that. And you forget how, uh, how brave, I guess, you have to be to stand on stage and make things up. Mm. You know, it's something that you take for granted if you've been doing it more and more. But I mean, I guess I can think back to my first like 101 class show and I was, I was pretty scared. I mean, it, it is a scary thing to get up there and just to trust, you know, yourself and your teammates to, to make some magic. Yeah. I mean, you're just, 
you know. It's also, I mean, there's a little bit more, it's so much more personal in a way when you're improvising because you're not, you can get away acting with kind of like reciting the script. Right. You you can get away with turning in a decent performance without really understanding why you're saying the things you're saying, Mm -hmm. but you can, you can kind of sell it. But it's hard to do that when you're improvising because it's so just impulse to action and yeah. impulse to, to dialogue. And it's your brain. Yeah. It's not somebody else's brain. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's a little bit like um, sometimes when I'm watching other people improvise, it, it's like the thing with the millipede of like, how do you, what order do you use your legs? Mm. So if I think about it too much, I have no idea how anybody does it. You yeah. just kind of are amazed that people are so able to to move and be fluid up there. Well, and it's so nice to watch uh, my friends perform because, you know, in it and doing it so much, you do forget how magical it is Mm. to watch it unfold, you know, and to sometimes uh, allow yourself to not watch critically and to just watch and enjoy, you know, it's, it's awesome. And there are so many talented people um, performing at all of the theaters that it's just, it's really cool to watch. Tell me a little bit about the differences of approach that you have to bring to the different shows that you're doing. So you have, you have honeymoon as part of musical megawatt. Mm-hmm. You have premiere on Friday here at magnet. You have mm-hmm. blank the musical at the pit. You have a uh, happy karaoke fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's different with the shows and how do you approach each of them? So at the magnet, um, we have for musical megawatt, we have 25 minutes to do uh, usually a narrative musical. Uh, and there's seven people on a team. It already sounds impossible. <laughs> uh, 25 minutes. I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's fast. It does go by quickly. Uh, so you usually have like four and a half, five scenes. Um, and I think what's great about musical megawatt is that uh, you never know week to week who's going to be the star of your show. Mm-hmm. Um, and honeymoon is just like layered with such, uh, wonderful musicians and improvisers that it's been really cool to, uh, play and explore with, uh, these six other performers. Um, so you have 25 minutes to make up a narrative musical. And I feel like, um, Tuesday nights are a bit goofier in nature than maybe some of the other shows are mm-hmm. um, because of that time restriction. Um, but it's always fun. Um, and, you know, having a full band, I mean, we've had, we had a cello a few weeks ago. Uh, we'll have a sax, we'll have a trombone, we'll have a bass, guitar, drums, and Frank like leading that band. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Um, I want to ask a question about that uh, mm-hmm. before we move on to another show. So three to four to four and a half scenes to tell a story. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? What it seems to me like each scene has to be very specific in its relationship to every other scene. Yeah. You can't necessarily, uh, uh, throw the net out too far. Mm -hmm. Um, the, when I was coming up through the magnet, it was kind of like protagonist is your first scene, you know, a direct antagonist, uh, a charm scene, and then we're going to wrap it up. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of the the structure I feel like we've been following uh, loosely, even if through different forms. Can you uh, explain the charm scene to me? Yeah. Uh, the way that I understand it, um, these charm scene, the charm characters, and usually if you're doing the math, it's two in the pro tag, two in the antag, and then three people in the charm scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and those charm characters are kind of there to fill out the environment, but also to maybe lead the pro tag to their want. Mm -hmm. Um, And usually the charm scene, uh, again, this was back in the day, would be where you would have a trio. So you would mix up your song structure, little palate cleanser, um, and it wouldn't be as deep as the pro tag or the antag song. Um, So it was kind of a time to have fun, to let loose a little bit. And I, I don't want to say throw away, but it's kind of like your throwaway characters. Mm. Um, your, your comic relief. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the charm scene has kind of gotten a little muddy over the years. And I would really love to bring back like a nice, strong charm scene. Maybe we'll do it tonight. Who knows? Um, 
But why yeah, not? Yeah, yeah, why not? Just a classic old fairy tale narrative. It would be nice. So protagonist in scene one with a strong, clear want. Mm-hmm. Antagonist in scene two specifically blocking that want. Yes. Uh, charm scene for scene three in which these characters are helping the protagonist. And filling out the environment. Filling out the environment. Yeah. And then the end of the show is the protagonist getting what they want. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yes. yes. Cool. Yeah. With Premiere, um, and you got to coach Premiere for a while, and I was so sad that I missed that time, though I love Hannah. Hannah's just the best. Uh, she's a great coach. Yeah. yeah. Um, with Premiere, it's been um, more of like a montage of scenes in a narrative form, though. We're still following a protagonist, um, but there's a lot more time there. We have like 50 minutes usually. Um, so we can really like take our time with our bits and with the songs and, uh, with different characters, we're able to cast the net out a little farther too, which Mm. is nice. Uh, and then try to connect these players, um, these scenes in the end. Uh, and that, I think, you know, when you have more time, you obviously can have more discoveries. Um, and it's been fun with premiere to kind of have those discoveries when we do our shows together. Uh, it's also like a great, a great, uh, musical team as well. Like there are a lot of musicians on that team, which is, is really great. And I will, I will say, I think that, um, working with people from Chicago and from LA, something that they've all said coming to New York is how exciting it has been to work with musical improvisers who are all musicians as well. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, as, as New York improvisers, we've been spoiled with the wealth of, of musicians we have because of Broadway, because of other venues, because of opera, whatever. Um, and you know, I'm so happy that we have so many musicians who want to do musical improv. It's, it's great to, to make magic with people who can harmonize with you and can you know, make stuff happen musically. I guess it never occurred to me that, that there, you would have less access to, to that in LA or even Chicago. Yeah. It's been cool with, um, with blank, the musical, we're doing it at Broadway comedy club every Saturday right now. Um, but our director TJ Shanoff is Chicago based and our music director, Michael Dakota is the artistic director at, um, improv Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, and they both have a lot of uh, music in their background. They've both been musical directors of different shows. And TJ was the music director at Second City for a long time. Um, but yeah, but they were so excited about the talent in New York and and people who can sing. And, you know, it's it, uh, we can do we can sing so many different styles. Mm. We can, you know sing the the range of a an older lady or you know we can sing an ingenue part it's higher and um it's it's been really cool to explore different genres of music with other talented performers as well who mm. have that music abil- musical ability so what will if an audience was going to see what night do you do blank music Saturday night. So if an audience was going out on Friday to see premiere and then they mm-hmm. were going Saturday to see blank, the musical, uh, um, what would they expect to see on each of those different nights? Yeah. Premiere is going to be lots of laughs, uh, lots of, um, lots of, uh, bits and lots of like very rich improv. Um, we're not necessarily following any structure, except we're going to follow the fun and it's going to be a great time. Uh, and the audience gives one suggestion. We ask for one suggestion at the top of the show. We ask for a piece of advice from the audience. Uh, on Saturday night at blank, um, we have an introduction to the show that lasts about 15 minutes. Um, we get the suggestion of the title of our show, three song titles, the musical theme of the show, uh, a dance move, and a line of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And um, the audience is voting on all of these, all of the different suggestions through an app that they log into when they get to the show. Um, so the cast, there's five of us. Uh, we have 15 minutes and we do this introduction with the audience and we get suggestions and then they vote on all of those things. Um and it's, it's kind of crazy because you're creating this musical with the audience. So they have a little bit more involvement 
um, than in a regular improv show. Uh, after we've gotten all of that, we start with an overture with our orchestra. We have um, a musical director on the piano. We have a player who does woodwinds, and then we have a drummer. Um, and we do an overture where we visit those three song titles that were given, voted on at the top of the show. Um, and we explore the musical theme through uh, in between those three song titles. And then we do about an 80-minute show, um, which follows a structure that's a bit more tighter than premiere structure is. Premiere is more, let's follow the fun and let's see what happens. You know, one week we did a show where we literally went back and forth um, between two different scenes and we followed those scenes back and forth as they happened in time. Um, I guess technically our structure would allow for that in Blank the Musical, but in Blank the Musical, we're trying to kind of follow a more um, musical theater form Mm. than a musical improv form. Okay. So what would that form look like? So, uh, we, we still start with a protagonist, uh, but then we really cast our net wide. Mm -hmm. We really go as far as we can. And we have like three establishing scenes. Um, then in our fourth and fifth scene, we're going to revisit some of those, uh, maybe our protagonist and we're going to recall one of the songs that you heard in the overture. Um, And the hard part about that is remembering the melodies that were sung at the very beginning in the overture. So this is like 30 minutes later that you're singing the song that you heard at the very beginning of the show. And maybe you sang it and maybe you didn't. So you really have to pay attention. Um, Then we'll kind of get to a heightened scene, which will end act one. We try to revisit our theme of the show. Um, so the other week it was uh, millennials and margaritas. And I think with the song, it was like millennials and margaritas. And so that would kind of like come through and you'd hear that theme a little bit throughout the show. Um, and then we open act two. We have maybe we've jumped in time. Uh, we're going to have like a fun dance number. We're going to let a little relief off of the plot. Um we're going to work our way up maybe a few more scenes and then we're going to have a revolution number. The protagonist has kind of reached a point where they've got to make a decision. It's their moment of doubt, which the magnet teaches, which in a fairy tale scene, your protagonist might after that charm scene have their moment of doubt. Um, and then we'll have a big 11 o'clock number like Rose's turn in Gypsy or um, being alive in company. We'll have this big moment where the protagonist is going to either get what he wants or she, or not. And then we resolve and we recall the opening number that we did 75 minutes before. So it's a lot of, of recalling themes and melodies and stuff like that. seems like a lot to remember. Oh yeah. We were in rehearsals for two weeks and, you know, pounding that in and at the end of the day your brain hurts a little bit yeah yeah uh, do you when all is said and done and, and you've kind of gotten that down do you find it helpful or 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 hindrance or do you kind of not care to have so many different things and opening line and, and different song titles and and a musical theme to follow i think it's just a it's a new challenge um unlike any i've had i I don't mind it. I don't feel, um, I don't feel like it's restrictions as much as it's like, um, like guideposts that we have to hit. Um, which I guess some could argue isn't as, is improvised, which I guess it's not when you have those guideposts as maybe, um, some other shows are, but it, it feels like a really fun challenge and it, it's really exciting when it does work, mm. when it works and you have this line and you deliver the line and the audience is like, Oh my God, it made sense. How did you make that make sense? Like that feels great. It yeah. feels good. It's like a, it's like a musical improv show with an obstacle course built in. There's a little bit more sportsmanship to yeah. it. There's a little there bit more of you have an objective standard yeah. of this. If we hit this, we know that we did it well. If yeah. we hit it and make sense with it, we know that we did it well. Yeah. Damn. Didn't even think of it like that before. Yeah. And I would imagine too, that the kind of explosion you would get from an audience is kind of straddles the line between a theater audience and a sports audience. Yeah. Yeah. Sports crowd. Yeah. 
especially because they were a part of it too. Yeah. You know, and, and when you're watching sports, sometimes you have, you have a stake in it somehow, mm. you know, even like that rivalry back in Kentucky, like if you went to UK, you've got bragging rights if they've won. Right. Yeah. So you have a stake in it. So yeah, I guess so. There's a little bit, I mean, this is always true in improv to greater or lesser extent, but I've heard it said that there's always the audience is watching two shows simultaneously. There's the show that's made up of the characters that they're following. And there's the show that's made up of the performers that they're following. Mm -hmm. And when you have a task like that, that is so involving of the audience and so specific, um, there is as much a thing of seeing like a great athlete or a great performer, pull it off. Right. Uh, you're rooting just as much for that as you are rooting for the main character to get what they want or, yes, or, totally. or to learn a lesson or whatever it is. Yeah. So I, in an ideal world, when the stars are all aligning with each other, you kind of get twice as much of a response. Right. Everything is, is uh, um, twice as valuable as it would be in a show where it's only the characters or only the actors or whatever. Right. No, that's totally true. I get you're invested, like you're extra invested in the show. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. When you watch your, you know, your very good friend do something for the first time. I don't know. Yeah. But it, you're right. It's, you're definitely more invested in the audiences there with you. Mm. And again, like, you know, it's funny. Sometimes the audience will feel responsible. Like, oh, was that title that we, we voted on? Was that okay? Like, did, did that help you or hurt you? And like, you know. They, yeah, it's them too. It's not just us on the line at that point. Yeah. So, yeah. And ha happy karaoke fun time. Yes. Philip Markle. <laughs> he uh, came to New York four years ago. I'm bad with time right now. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to open the Annoyance Theater here in New York. Um, and he decided he also wanted to bring happy karaoke fun time to the city. And, um, again, he said the same thing. He was so excited to have this group of people, uh, that were all great singers come out. And, um, in theory, I guess, audition, he reached out, I guess, to some people in town and said, you know, who would be interested in this? Who do you think would be, would be fun for this? And I think initially it was like eight of us, uh, and we would meet at simple studios and we'd sit in a circle and we would just, sing to karaoke tracks. Oh, I guess I should say what the show is. So we do a narrative musical, uh, but instead of a band, we use karaoke tracks that you know and love, and we change the lyrics to fit our narrative. Cool. Um, you know, so we're singing um, a love duet to um, I Dreamed a Dream or, you know, uh, to Come Sail Away or something like that. Um, we have about 30 tracks that we play with each night. Um and it's been such a fun time. We did a, a short off-Broadway run at the Davenport Theater in 2014. Um, and it was great. We had a, a wonderful time. And we've been running um, at Under St. Mark's. We opened in February, March at Under St. Mark's. We've been playing there uh, every Thursday at 1030. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a great group of people. And we all really love each other and respect each other. And we play well together. And it's just you know, we'll go to crazy town faster than maybe some other shows. Mm. Uh, but I think the audience just digs hearing new lyrics to karaoke tracks that they've, you know, yeah. sung along to forever. That's well, really smart because there's already with that familiarity bred into it there, there's a, it, it gives you a certain permission to be even looser and sillier than you normally would. Yeah, it, It's almost like the, in what you would have to do to create like a game of a scene, you know, that game is kind of built in when you get to hear a melody that you're already familiar with. Right. It has, when you hit a game really well in a show, it has that same kind of quality to it as when you hear that melody to a song that you already know. There's this kind of like hit of, of, um, a, a connection to it already. Totally. It's awesome. That sounds really fun. Yeah. Um, so, so it, one thing that I wanted to talk with you about was it seems to me like musical improv, I don't know if the, how much this actually happens, but musical improv, even more than non-musical improv, kind of has permission to not have to define itself so much as comedy if you didn't want to. Mm. Um, I'm curious your thoughts about that. Am I am I close to a mark or am I oh, way yeah. off? 
No, you're so on the nose. I have, um, I've for the last, I guess, year or so, um, have just really craved some musical improv that is not me singing about my butt or about your butt or about anybody's butt. Not that I don't love a good butt song. Um, but you know, just as we were saying earlier, you know, that superhero thing, there's something about, um, you know, your outside persona and what's really going on inside. And I think living in New York, I think being an improviser, I think turning 30, I think all of these things have kind of, um, made me feel, uh, that I just crave some authenticity in what I'm doing. Um, And I think that improv is such a place where that can be explored. And I don't feel like it's being explored enough. Mm. Um, You know, we were talking earlier about uh, mundane scenes and then really heightening them to to sing a song. And I said something about um, doing like Park Bench of Truth. Some of the songs that I've heard people do through those exercises have been so touching and so funny and, and so much of them. I was teaching a class down in uh, Florida and this guy um, who I had been performing with uh, for like half a year, he was always the funny guy, always great. He did this exercise and he ended up singing a song about this, this past girlfriend that he had. And it was so touching and, and so heartwarming. And I actually felt like I knew him after he sang that song. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think that people go to comedy, to go to improv shows to laugh and to have a good time. Um, But I do think that there uh, is something out there to be done to reach a more authentic, truthful place when it comes to musical improv. Hansberry and Slack are doing it a little bit, and Mm -hmm. it's awesome. I saw their show a couple weeks ago, and I just loved it. I thought it was great. And it was super funny. But it was also the suggestion that they got was, um, you know, it was intense. They got the suggestion uh, someone's mom had kept uh, uh, her illness from the family and it finally came out. And like that was the suggestion and they did this show off of it and it was funny and it was um, fresh and it was not about butts. Uh, And it was it was great. And I want more of that in our improv theaters. I, so my, uh, feel on that is attention has to be paid to the context, um, of how we're kind of presenting ourselves to audiences because I think most of improvisers just kind of take for granted that we just kind of do our show and that's it. Right. And, and we neglect the fact that every single part of the experience from the moment you walk through the front door until the moment that the show starts, every part of that experience is programming an audience to expect, um, to laugh. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you kind of like feel that energy coming off the audience and you're sort of more inclined to like aim for butt songs and yeah. aim for the thing that's going to get you to succeed in them. So I feel like it's really important to... I think people in general can be better about designing their shows. I I think a lot of thought is put into like how we're going to structure a performance, Mm -hmm. but not a lot of thought is always put into the presentation of the entire show and, and and the experience, any kind of live show, it it calls on skills from you that are very similar to event planning. You have to kind of think about the audience you have to think about what they're seeing and, 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 and thinking and feeling as they're going through just walking around the room, Mm -hmm. the music that they're listening to that's playing on the, on the pre-show playlist is really important thing. Yeah. Most of the time it's just either, either very high powered songs to like get the energy up or it's songs that people are already really familiar with to create that feeling of relaxation but you can do a lot with the mood of the room just from like that little tiny thing. Yeah. And I think that pre-setting, if, if you do a show where every part of this experience is, is communicating to an audience that they're going to laugh, and then you do a show that is not aiming for the butt song, you'll kind of be met with 
like a little bit of confusion and and people may be more inclined to think that the reason why your show isn't funny is because you're not a great improviser. Right. But if you change that context and change those expectations, when people aren't laughing, they may watch it through different lenses. They may see more nuance in your performance and they might appreciate more nuance in your performance than if we're just constantly reinforcing this promise that it's just about laughs. That improv is funny. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I was just running through. None of the theaters have comedy in their title. Yeah. It's the Magnet Theater. It's the People's Improv Theater. It's the Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, and, you know, even like uh, my first Del Close Marathon, um, uh, How Can We Fix You? Let Me Fix You. What's the show that they do that the UCB4 do? Like I don't remember the, the name. Very I, last I think day. Let, me, let Me Fix You sounds yeah. right. You know, and that was, I think, my favorite show that I saw then because it was people connecting and it was people laughing about the things that connect us all. Mm-hmm. What Who is it? Victor Berg said the shortest distance between two people is laughter or mm-hmm. laughter is the shortest distance between two people. You know, and it's, it's it, there are so many things that you laugh at that connect us. And I, I completely agree with you. There is a, not a stigma, but but people are expecting to go to an improv theater and to laugh, you know, they want to get rid of their shitty day, their shitty week or whatever. They want to go laugh at, at a butt song. Uh, but could it be cathartic to maybe go in and to an improv show and, and have somebody, uh, sing a song about, you know, their girlfriend that left them that they really wish that they could get back. And, you know, these were the things that they loved about that person, but she's not coming back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I've always liked the idea that, that, we're after cheers more than laughs. Yeah. That's always struck a chord. And and that the way to accomplish that is to withhold all of the little easy laughs along the way to build up the pressure so that when the laughs come later in the show, they're, they're kind of like big explosive laughs. Yeah. They're, they're, they're richer, but it takes a lot of experience and confidence and trust in yourself and each other to mm-hmm. withhold all the easy things along the way to see yourself through to singing a really sincere song about losing somebody or, you know, whatever it might be. It's that tool belt that coaches will talk about sometimes, you know, you're going to put that, that joke or that thing in your back pocket and keep it in your tool belt and bring that out later Mm -hmm. instead of giving it up all right now. I was in rehearsal for a show recently and it was, um, you know, I had this secret, and maybe it's because I was used to the 25 minute structure, but my character had this secret. And in the song, I just like gave away what my secret was. And, and I have to remember sometimes keep that in the tool belt. Don't mm-hmm. like just give it all away at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I used yeah. to that exercise I was telling you about before of like getting people to do like very mundane scenes. Mm-hmm. I would run it in two different ways. And I, I thought the results were always like super interesting. One of them would be, I would have, two improvisers look at each other and decide going into the scene how they feel about the other one. And then they weren't allowed to talk about that or or even mention it in the scene. And then based on how they looked, the other people in the room would give a suggestion of what they think this relationship Ooh. is. And then they would play the most mundane slice of life scene based on that relationship. Really nothing funny or interesting scene. But then when they sang, they had to sing about how they felt about the other person. So it has this kind of thing of you are giving away the secret, but only the audience knows the secret. The other person in the scene doesn't know the secret. So now when you return to this mundane thing, the audience is kind of sharing your inner life with you. And they're seeing the way that these little tiny, small interactions mean so much more. Uh, Yeah. And are loaded. Yeah. Yeah. And then the variation of that would be, you would choose how you feel about that person. You would still do a completely mundane scene, but then, the song would be denying how you felt about them. The song would all be, if you're in love with someone, then the song is about how you don't, you don't think twice about them or whatever it is. So the audience sees your secret, but they also see that you're blind to your own secret too. Oh yeah. And it, it like, it very hard to practice that in a 20 minute show. But I, I always like took a lot of pleasure in that idea of like winding in making the audience share what's going on in your heart with you and mm. then just doing your best job to do a completely faithfully uh, uh, um, everyday performance. Oh, and that like rips at your heart too, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, and musical improv, you have that ability. And, and I don't know if regular improv, you have that ability as much. 
to play with that. Well, you know what, what I think happens a lot in, in regular improv, the improvisation and the comedy in a lot of people's minds are, are just like synonyms for each other, which I don't think is necessarily true. I agree with you. Yeah. And so when you encourage people not to play for the comedy, they'll end up doing the exact opposite and they'll play for like the truth with a capital T, um, which is always like this like really heavy, uh, um, very loaded, very intense, slightly embarrassing quality. Um, it, recently I've gotten into the habit of saying truth with a lowercase T yeah. just to like <laughs> remind you that, that like, cause whenever you say don't play for the comedy of the scene, then it's always like the cancer diagnosis. Right. And while that is a true part of life, uh, um, you spill coffee on yourself far more often than you're diagnosed with cancer. Right. But people will, will go straight to cancer and forget about spilling coffee on yourself. And that's the stuff that it's not funny exactly, but it speaks to us and it makes us feel more connected with what you're improvising. But uh, what I think happens a lot with, with non-musical improv is you start to feel a little bit embarrassed for the performer. It, it becomes less about the character and more about them showcasing their ability to play a big emotion. And it almost feels like weirdly inappropriate. Like I remember seeing somebody cry in a scene one time and it, and it was it was embarrassing. It wasn't a cool, cathartic feeling. It was this thing of like, oh, now I have to appreciate how emotional you're letting yourself be. It, it actually like threw me seriously out of the performance. Well, and I think that, uh, pardon my French, but I think that there's a difference between like jerking off on stage totally. and, you know, uh, um, honoring what's happening on totally. stage. Like- you know, it's not, it's not your turn to cry on stage about your boyfriend that broke up with you. So, and, and I, and I know what you mean that that can be very uncomfortable and, and you're not on board with that. Yeah. yeah. Totally. There, I mean, so I think if you go to see a scripted show, a, a non-musical scripted show, um, here's, here's, I, I think like certain parallels and certain differences in like improvised theater versus non-improvised theater. If you go to see a scripted show, you are going to, as an actor, you're going to have to work hard early on to get the audience to believe what you're doing. Just the very nature of it is your voices, you're projecting and, and it doesn't have this like intimate feeling. Everything about it feels like acting and feels like theater. And it takes about 10 minutes, I think, to like get the audience to start to believe what they're seeing. In improv, you have the opposite thing. You don't really need to do much of anything. to they, The audience is going to believe what you're doing until you give them reasons not to believe you anymore. Mm. There's a little bit more of like an intimacy. We're all speaking at the same tone of voice. It, it, the stage design is made up of everyone's kind of collective imagination. So as long as you don't do anything to violate the simple truth that's on stage, mm -hmm. people will be predisposed to kind of believe it. If you, if, if, if you look at me on stage and very flatly say, I hate your guts uh, and I don't say a word, I just look at you. The audience will believe that you hate my guts. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. The flip side to that is in a scripted show after having uh, getting over that hurdle, now that people believe you, there is something kind of larger than life about it. And there's a safe container so that when emotions get really intense, we kind of are there with you. Right. Whereas in an improv show, when emotions start getting very intense, it's almost like the, the uh, um, kind of like spider web that's connecting the audience's mind to the, to the stage picture is like too fine. Very intense emotions kind of shatters the illusion. And then suddenly you feel thrown out of it. Right. So I think that there are kind of pros and cons in both of those things. Yeah, of course. But I think that in musical improv, the nature of deeply felt emotion and the nature of just the fact that you have this other aesthetic dimension to explore with the music protects you and gives you the ability to have deeper, richer emotions. That safety valve is there so that when things do get re really intense, an, an audience is able to accept that 
and and respond to the character and not respond to the actor asking for your applause right. or whatever. And that's when you can put that emotion into the music too. Totally. You know, sometimes there have been some really beautiful musical improv songs I've heard that haven't even had words, just, you know, music and, and singing on that emotion, you know, whether it be happiness or sadness or anger or, you know, jealousy, whatever it is. Um, you know, the Jezebels, we used to do this uh, opening number. It was just a sound bomb. And I don't even think we said any words, but it was just the emotion and the music and those two things meeting and, and what that made us feel. And then, you know, hopefully sharing that energy with the audience and then kind of uh, birthing a show out of that energy. Um, yeah. Can you describe, I did a sound bomb years ago with a non-musical team mm-hmm. and it was fucking awesome. I don't yeah. know if the audience liked it, but it was awesome <laughs> for us and I'm never able to describe it to anybody. Can you describe yeah. the sound bomb to people? So it's a, it's, it's layering of sounds uh, and you're kind of, um, you're getting a suggestion of something and then whatever that, that might make you, you feel. So if it's ocean, I don't know, I'm going to be very generic. You know, maybe somebody starts with like how, uh, they think like a seagull would sound or something. And and you're going to layer on that. Maybe you're going to do some ocean sounds and then you're going to layer on that. Uh, I don't know, some fishes underneath or something. But the whole point is that, that you're creating this, um, you know, it's like a, it's like a, an invocation or a pattern game or something like as you're, as you're doing as you're opening, but instead you're exploring it musically. Um, you know, uh, you might start out really soft and then again, if it's the ocean, maybe, maybe a storm comes. And so musically you're sharing that with your team and you're kind of building off of each other and you're layering and then maybe the storm goes away and it goes back to being peaceful. I don't That's know. A I guess. Description. Yeah, I guess if if there were going to be a fourth thing in the invocation, maybe it should be sound bomb. Mm, right? The, There's yeah. three yes. right now. Uh, yeah. uh, three, four, four. So a fifth. Fifth then. Yeah. Would be a sound bomb. That sounds great. Yeah. I love a good sound bomb. So you've already started talking about where your mind is at these days. What would be your ideal show? What are you? What are oh, you man. aiming for? Um. You know not only do we have some really talented musicians, but we also have some really talented dancers mm. in musical improv land. Um, and I would just love to do a full fledged musical that's improvised. I would love to have, uh, you know, there be a dance number in the middle of the show. I would, you know, that's actual beautiful improvised dance. Um, and I don't, I don't know how to make that happen yet, but I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time to make that happen. I feel like, um, musical improv is, is, um, an art form that hasn't been blown out, that hasn't been, um, smeared, made a mess of yet. I feel like it's still so fresh and so new that there are so many opportunities and, and places to take it, um, I'm also ready to make like a living off of doing what I love. And I, I don't think that that's too much to ask. And I think it's possible, especially in New York city. Um, you know, I go back and forth from doing uh, scripted work to musical improv because when I do the scripted work, I can pay my bills mm. and I can have health insurance. And when I'm doing improv, that's not the case. Um, and I am so ready for it to be the case. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a way to make that happen. If I could build my own musical improv empire, I I will. I will build it. I, And I think that this is the city where you could make it happen. So Next that's year my in the promised show. land. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, um, yeah. 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 I mean, I, it's it it feels impossible at times, but I, I think that there's a way I totally think that there's a way cause it's magic. And I've seen so many magical shows in this city that are musically improvised that I just, I don't see how it's not possible. Just got to get a group of people together that are ready to like, you know, go for it. Anyone who's listening right now, you can, you can tweet 
at us. All of us here at the podcast are open to suggestions. Yes, How can please. we make a living improvising friends? We're here for your thoughts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Allie, it's been a pleasure talking oh, thank together. You. Thank you so much for yes, doing the show. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, what would you like to plug while we have a few yeah, seconds? Yeah, come on down to Musical Megawatt at the Magnet Theater between 7 and 10 o'clock. Uh, Thursday nights at 10.30, happy karaoke fun time at Under St. Mark's. Friday night at 10 o'clock, premiere the improvised musical at the Magnet. And then Saturday nights at 8 o'clock, blank the musical at the Broadway Comedy Club. Kick ass. Yes. Uh, check it out, everyone. Yes, thank Allie you. Allie Reed, thank you. Yes. And thank you to all of you for listening. This has indeed been the Magnet Theater Podcast. And if you enjoyed yourself, we would certainly appreciate mentions on uh, social media and whatnot. I'd like to give a couple of other big thank yous. First off, to Joe Glasgow, our engineer, to Evan Ford Barden, our producer, to Ed Herbstman, our executive producer, and to all of you good, kind, fine people out there in New York City, the city that never sleeps, the Big Apple, uh, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Thank you for listening to the show, everyone. Thanks once again to Allie Reed. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.